1: Everybody, welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Millsoff, features editor at Billboard and Broadway expert here. So, back in 2006, for many of us musical fiends, the sense of what was possible on Broadway changed completely when a show called Spring Awakening opened. It was a game-changing production in so many ways. But one of the most important was in its score, which fused rock and folk styles beautifully and seemed somehow like the most natural way for the characters, a bunch of 19th century German teenagers, to express themselves. What was most surprising was the composer himself, Duncan Sheik. He was a newcomer to Broadway, but not to writing music. If you grew up in the 90s, you know Sheik from his days as a kind of heartthrob singer-songwriter who had a Hot 100 top 20 hit with Barely Breathing. But thanks to Spring Awakening and the great deal of work he has done in the theater since then, that's really no longer the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Sheik's name. Uh, he's become really one of the most talented composers in the realm of contemporary musicals right now. And that includes his latest project, The Secret Life of Bees. It's an adaptation of the best Sue Monk Kid novel which was also turned into a movie, and it is playing right now in a major off-Broadway production at the Atlantic Theatre Company. You'll hear a little more about the plot in this week's episode, but suffice to say, the story is wonderfully complemented by Sheik's richly layered and nuanced score, which combines elements of Americana, soul, folk, and bluegrass sounds performed by uh, an amazing band that is on stage throughout the show. Sheik came to Billboard on Broadway this week to talk all about it and his career in the theater, along with two key members of the show's team, uh, lyricist Susan Birkenhead and actor Issa Davis.
0: For the first time I will have a say about who gets to run the USA when I sign my
1: name. Her mama and her mama too and what
0: they never got to do
2: I'm Susan Birkenhead, I'm the lyricist.
0: My name is Issa Davis and I
3: play June. Uh, I'm Duncan Sheik and I'm the composer.
1: Yay, (laughs) well I'm excited to see all of you. so I think that just to start, this is a story that is sort of deceptively complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when I find myself describing it to people, I often find myself a little bit at a loss for uh, clear thought. So I would love to hear any of you who actually are involved in it sort of tell a little bit about what the story itself is to begin with.
2: Do you want me to begin? Sure. Do the words, sir. Come on, do it. <laughs> You're tell word, us. Lady. Well, it, it, <laughs> um, it's the story of... Um, the story begins on the day that the Civil Rights Act was signed by Lyndon Johnson. The story begins with a young girl named Lily Owens who um, has been motherless since she was three years old. Her mother died under somewhat mysterious circumstances. Um, she's been living with her father, who is abusive, and um, a young woman who was hired, who was at first working in the peach orchard for him and was brought in to take care of Lily when she was very young. A woman named Rosaline, who was also quite young. I think Rosaline is 20, 21, something like that.
3: In our version.
2: In our version, <laughs> Yes. Rosaline sets out to go and sign her name, to register to vote for the first time. And she's wildly excited and Lily wants to go with her and they set out to do it. And they're stopped by some really horrible men, um, horrible racists who say, you know, where are you going? And uh, when she says, I'm going to go sign my name, going to go vote, they try to block her way. And um, it winds up with them saying, bet you can't even spell your own name. And she spells her name and then spills some snuff juice over the shoe of one of the men. And they beat her up. And she's taken away to jail. And Lily, I'll try to make this fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lily. Um,
3: no spoilers. Just like, she's, she's,
2: she's, okay. <laughs> oh, God. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, Lily's father um, attempts to keep her from going to help Rosaline but she runs away uh goes to the jail frees Rosaline and they set out on this adventure eventually they wind up at the home of three women who are beekeepers um and who take them both in and their lives are changed by this yeah
0: yeah and I'm I play one of the sisters. Uh, at the house where Lily and Rosaline end up, and um, something that's, it's interesting when you ask about what the story is and the complexity of the story, because the story very much is about race. It's very much an allegory about how race is um, handled in a fantastical way and also in a very real way. Um, And so Lily, the young girl, is white and Rosaline is black. And um, they both find this sense of home um, in this house where my oldest sister, August, who keeps bees, and my younger sister, May, who is pretty much the cook and the empath of the house. And I'm a history teacher. Um, they so you're, both you're find the,
3: You're the Donish character. I'm right?
0: the, the Donish, Donish. character. <laughs> yes, I am. I am of the books. But we all are. I mean, there's actually a really lovely scene. Where we're all just sitting out on the porch reading books, and and I actually don't know that I've seen that image very often um, when it comes to representation of Black women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in some ways, when I think about the story, I think about um, it's it's less about what happens, and it's more about the way, the different ways that um, both. Black women and a young white girl, and the white men in the show, and the black men in the show, how we all deal with the pain and injustice of racism, of gendered racism. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting things about the story to me that there, it's not that there aren't big, important, concrete events that happen, but there is sort of a whole metaphysical level to the story as well that that is interesting to see unfold and it's not about big ta-da moments it's sort of about like gradual realizations and kind of evolutions of character
3: it's definitely an an accumulation of of events I mean that's that's what was really difficult I think about turning this into a musical just to talk about the challenges for a second Mm -hmm. because the the novel is a novel and so it's a, a novel can sort of go in so many different directions and exactly. when you're telling a story in a musical you need to sort of like you know have a have a central thrust and so it was it was tricky to kind of find what that was and i think we're still actually working on it, you know, musicals are never done. They just close. <laughs> 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 so.
1: somebody put that on a t-shirt. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I yeah. mean that, you know, it was mm. it, it took me definitely a couple of years to kind of find my way into what what this show was was really about both musically and story-wise.
1: Well, I was I was curious, you know, we hear so much all the time about Movies that are turned into musicals or um, become the inspiration for musicals. I feel like these days maybe less so, at least on a very prominent level, books that are the inspiration for shows. And I wondered if, as you're sort of getting at, there is something more challenging about
0: adapting a book into a musical.
2: Definitely. Yeah.
3: I mean, Um, the movie wasn't our source material. Definitely the book. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I haven't watched the movie, actually. No – Disrespect to the people who made it, but yeah. I actually hadn't watched it, and I wanted mm-hmm. to stick to just the book and then what the creators of the musical made in order to, you know, invent something fresh. Yeah, and yeah. we
3: should say Lynn Nottage um, yeah. the book to the show. Yeah yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. And and in in adapting a work like that, you necessarily have to read it, digest it, put it aside, and then create your own version of it, which we had to do. And it's so, interesting when you read the
0: novel, it's you and Lynn are, and Duncan are really faithful to, to so many lines, just, you know, word for word references that are there. And then, of course, there are big places where, you know, there are huge shifts and um, yeah. leaps away from the book.
2: Well, it's funny because there were so many lines that Lynn and I had both highlighted <laughs> in yellow. And um, we got together very early um, and uh, before Duncan was ready to jump into it, and um, we decided to highlight the passages that we felt were the most emotional and would probably be ripe for musicalization. And when we compared notes, the two lists were identical except for maybe one or two places. Yes. Um, so it, you know, we could see that that. The story does sing, but then it's a question of deciding how you'll tell the story, (laughs) (laughs) which is a big thing. And we really didn't discover that until a couple of years in. Yeah.
3: I mean, I remember the very first workshop, uh, American Psycho had just closed, and I was sort of not in the best frame (laughs) of mind. And and Susan and Lynn showed up at the first day with like a 300-page script. And and Sam Gold, our director, was like, okay, write some songs now.
0: (laughs) What? What? (laughs) You know, I've never asked you about this. How? I mean, of course, I'm so curious about, you know, the – inner workings of the mind of Duncan Sheik. Like, how did (laughs) you become inspired? I mean, you had this list of moments that might be musicalized, and I'm sure you had your own thoughts about what felt like it needed to lift into song and be told in the way that only music can. Mm -hmm. But how did you actually decide, like, oh, I want this to be this particular, like, kind of talking to this particular kind of pop genre or this? Mm -hmm.
3: Well, I mean, it it was... Mostly character driven, you know, obviously, um, uh, you know, a character like Zach, who's like, you know, a young, um, a young guy in the mid 60s is going to be wanting to listen to sort of pop R&B stuff, you know, and that's going to be sort of his genre. Mm. Um, Lily, you know, coming from this, you know, more sort of rural um, almost southern Gothic uh, kind of place um, and and atmosphere. She's going to have a more sort of rootsy Americana sound, mm-hmm. um, and then the sisters, with their sort of their sort of very particular religiosity that they practice, are going to have a more sort of magical, mystical, wonderful <laughs> yes. <laughs> sound. Yes. Um, so you know, so it was really driven by you know who who was singing and what was the emotional moment mm-hmm. at that you know at that time yeah. Yeah. in the show that moment
2: it usually is and then we sort of all discuss it together and and
3: and then we're asked to change it 17 times, 17 times yes. <laughs> we
2: wrote so many songs for zach Yeah. Exactly. my god
3: yeah I mean, remember and so many songs for august you know yeah. i mean there's like all these versions oh, and yes. you know and some of them i miss terribly but you yeah. know what's there is, is really good i think yeah
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah i know well, the outtakes that's like a whole album right there that's <laughs> yeah, a <always>. whole album <laughs> Yeah. Well, since you're talking
1: about all the changes that this kind of went through, it's interesting because this is this is actually the only show that I've ever seen in workshop form. Um, oh, I wow. went to the um, to the Vassar workshop mm. wow. uh, two years ago. So
2: <laughs> very <laughs> different. <isn't> yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. It's well, it's different. But like, there are where there were certain songs that I heard them and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was curious what what are sort of you, you know a lot of people don't know about the fact that it takes such a long time to get. A musical to a major off-Broadway production like this and kind of what are the major changes that it goes through in those past
3: two years? Well, actually, uh, that, to be honest, this one happened relatively quickly, yes, for, in, sure. my, in my view, <laughs> because, because, like, you know, most of my shows have taken, you know, seven, eight, sometimes right. 12 years to get staged. And this happened in about four and change. Yeah. So, um, so that, but it was because there was a lot of development in a relatively short amount of time. And yes. we did probably five or six workshops mm-hmm. o- over those four years. So that's, that's quick
2: and Isa was with us from the first. I mean, from that. Is that really true? Yeah. Well, well you no. Know, we like... had one reading where we only had three songs. Remember that oh, okay. one? Okay,
3: that's that's. What and I,
2: yeah, you were not there. I was Who played June? I don't even remember.
0: Uh, I, I, I sure don't know. I don't remember. Either, <laughs> but but um, <laughs> I should. But
2: I, I. But from New York stage and film on, wow, you were there. Yeah. Well, it's
0: low. I, I, as someone who writes plays and songs myself. It's so thrilling to me to be part of the process. I love being able to think about things dramaturgically and think about what the whole of the piece is doing, you know, thinking through the lens of my character but also thinking about what the impact that the entirety, you know, of the concept has. Mm -hmm. Um, both emotionally and intellectually, you know, on an audience. And at
3: the risk of blowing smoke, Asa does such an incredible job of navigating this kind of this character who could seem in the wrong hands, like really brittle and kind of (laughs) annoying, but she's like so lovely and hilarious. In her own way, she serves yeah.
1: a lot of faces. I was going to say, when you say of, you serve a lot of faces that are really <laughs> enjoyable, yeah.
3: Yeah. that's funny. <laughs> There's a
0: lot of like good side eye. And <laughs> yeah. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that's so kind to hear. Because you know, it's funny. I don't think I ever thought about the character as someone that people would not like until we started doing these shows. And then after the shows, sometimes people will come up to me and be like, oh wow, what a character. Like, ooh, you know, you were, you were a little bit, um, mm, you know, and use some more colorful words that I won't use on this podcast. But I, it never occurred to me, you know? And I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think that the reason why, I think it's very specific, the reason why people don't like her is um, is because she very much names race and she very much says that black lives are as important as white lives. And that's hard for people to take of any race. It's still yeah. like a hard thing for people mm-hmm.
2: to mm-hmm.
0: hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
1: completely. I was going to say, like, I'm so happy you're here today, You as as a longtime fan of yours, but also I think your perspective is so interesting as someone who is a very accomplished writer um, as well as actor. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, since you uh, you don't have a traditional career in terms of just acting, acting, acting. Oh, no. Like, what what makes you decide, like, I'm really going to commit to a show like this. This is a show I want to be acting in as opposed to spending your time doing any number of other creative things.
0: Um, Dunkin' Sheik, Susan Birkenhead, <laughs> Lynn Nottage, Sam Gold. That pretty much, you know, made me decide to do this project Aww. because— I mean, and and when I first arrived for Vassar, I hadn't read the book. I didn't know anything about it. I just, you know, knew who this team was and thought, of course, I want to just be part of this. And then here I still am, which is really great. But that larger question you're asking, I think this is something that Susan and Duncan and Sam and Lynn would um, and all the actors in the cast um, have to answer, right, which is You know, what are the things that you feel you need to do as an artist? And then also, what do you need to give as an artist to the historical moment that we're in? Mm -hmm. And that that is what can guide your choices. You know, what's what are your values? You know, Um, and for me, I really love being part of other people's visions of the world, as well as trying to make my own. And um, and I both of them feed off of each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to say that, you know, obviously, there are a lot of things about the story that make it feel politically relevant right now. But almost aside from that, it's I mean, it is very refreshing still um, not, not that it should be anymore, but still to see a show that is, is really about female relationships and female mm, friendship. Yes. and um, the the men are are great <laughs> and enjoyable. <laughs> but like when they come on stage, you're almost sort of like, but I, I'm interested in like that whole little like coterie. Um, like it, it's it's nice to see the women really be at the center of the story and um, and be the most compelling part of it.
2: it. Is. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I do. I actually think there's some places where there's too many men in a row and we need to, you know, that's another thing we need to kind of figure out structurally and, and make it make yeah. it more, you know, clear what the thrust is.
1: Like like physically on stage next yeah, to each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Well, like three, you know, three guys moments in a row, you know, at the end of the show. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. want to get too much into the weeds with it, but I think there's some stuff we need to we need to mess around with.
2: We also have the most amazing group of women. And every time I go back to see the show and I sit there and I, you know, and just drink it all in, it's it's
3: phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cast uh, and the band, I should say, but the yes. cast especially. and we have
2: women in the band, too. We got too.
3: so lucky yeah. with, with the people, you know, LaShawn's mm-hmm. and, and yeah. Anastasia. I mean, I need to say more.
0: A... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cast, we all love each other so much. And I think what you're saying about the men feeling in some ways incidental <laughs> <laughs> you're sort of a side point. <laughs> you know it's just like oh sure like you're they're the love interests right as opposed to the women feeling that way mm-hmm. um, and but they all know that all of the actors know that they're there to support the women and that's actually really beautiful to be Part of that kind of ensemble.
3: That's really smart. I never thought of it that way, but it is reversed. It's like the yes. men sort of become, you know, they're the objects in some way, as opposed to the women. You know? yeah. yeah. And they're sometimes they're the
0: very, same. you know, persistent objects. Like right. yeah. the guy keeps coming after me. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to do something here, and yeah. you keep coming after me with these marriage proposals.
3: <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> it's very funny. Well. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about
1: sort of the the, the mu- music being, like, right in the middle of the staging, the way it is. Like, it it clearly feels appropriate to the sort of sound of the show. To It, it almost feels kind of like a little bit of a hootenanny sort mm-hmm. of atmosphere. Um, but I was curious to hear just about how that decision was made. Well,
3: so Sam had this idea that this was sort of the whole show was like a, a ritual and, and – and that it was maybe something that would have been performed like in a unitarian church or something mm. right so you're just in one space and, and then, it is
1: performed in a former church yeah exactly which is cool. yeah, yeah
3: yeah and and then the whole story is enacted you know as if it was like a, a it's like the play within the play a little bit um so yeah, and i and i love that i love what that does to the show because then the musicians kind of become you know, part, they they become actors in a way. And and it's great to see and hear them, you know, that, that clearly. So um I love the integration of that very much. Even when you have a band on stage and they're, like, back in the corner or, like, in the back of the space, you know, it's not that interesting. People do that all the time. But to have them surrounding the whole space is really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know am I allowed to gush about this music that you all have made? Because these songs are incredible. I mean, these songs are incredible. And, you know, and this is uh, what, it does what musicals can do and what music can do, which is just go straight, you know, just like, you don't even have to go through whatever, the frontal cortex or anything. It's just like, go straight to your heart. And that's what happens when, people see this this musical is they're just just blown away by what the music does to them you know and it's what happens to us every show that we do on the stage is that we're all listening to each other and hearing you know these like new ways that we're hearing the music every night um that just like slight different like a little fill up or an ornament that someone will do with a song you know um just like the way that you've helped us out with all of your lovely open vowels on (laughs) our lyrics you know um the songs are really transcendent and I think that um because of what the cultural context is for the show you actually feel what music does in terms of being both a survivalist, as well as a kind of, you know, way to worship, you see the function of music in those ways, in a really clear way. And that just, like, lifts the roof off of that Atlantic theater every mm-hmm. time we do the show.
3: Yeah, you do get, I mean, you do get the sense that it's it's healing, and it's cathartic, you know, in various yeah. places um, in the show. And that's, and that was, you know, a surprise to me. But I think it's really a credit, you know, again to this amazing cast and this amazing band. I mean, the horn section is just out of this world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, so, yeah. Um, and our drummer Corey is just like I'm. You know, I'm in love with him. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. so, he's so
0: and he yeah. loves you. Just watch him up there, yeah. and oh, his he's face. He's so happy. He's like. He is. There's like, do you remember? It? Well, there's this drummer named James Gadson who played with. I mean, everyone. Everybody. Everybody yeah. knows who James Gadson is, yeah. but. He he. Corey makes me think of James because James Gadson always has had this this blissful face on. <laughs> like when you see him playing with like Bill Withers yeah. or something, yeah. you know, and he's yeah. playing, and he just and Corey just has this love where he's he just does. in the beat. But I remember we're talking about the Vassar workshop when we did the sits probe, which is the first day that the band and mm-hmm. the singers all come together and you just hear what the sound of the music is. That night was so. My hat just fell off because it was so so great. <laughs> that night just blew us all away. We were literally running up and down the, the aisles aisle. of the theater because the music sounded that good. And I went up to Duncan and I was like, do you hear this? Do you hear what you made? Did you see what happened to all of us? And he was like, yeah, I guess this is a... This is why I do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> this night kind of reminds me yeah. of that. And,
3: cre- and credit to John Clancy to who oh, did those harmonies. Oh he's right. just, yeah, he's just really right. knocked it out of the and park. Jason, and Jason, Jason Hart, who, who did does the, all of the vocal, vocal arrangements. arrangements. Yeah, so yeah, there it was it was, it was a, definitely a team effort, and I think you know again we've talked about this a lot, but it was it's really like the hive, you know, it's like the beehive, the it beehive, like yeah. everyone working together to make something that's you know bigger than the individuals. Mm-hmm.
2: <sighs> The best show of all, though, excuse me, is to watch Duncan listening to his own music. I, I wish, you know, I wish I had the foresight to really video it, but it's, it's just incredibly... I, Funny I tr- and wonderful.
3: I know, I try I try to like keep it away from no, the audience just, because like, I'm just he can't saying. he can't help it.
0: He's like he's like Count Chocula in the back. <laughs> he's just like we'll see him on, the, on stage. And he's just like back there waving his arms, yeah. gesticulating like he's conducting like at the La Scala or something. Um,
3: I know it's really embarrassing. I'm sorry.
1: No. Would you? I was. I was actually wondering when I was watching the band on stage. Like, would you ever play like in the band? Uh, of so,
3: <laughs> so my my previous show was Alice by Hart um, yeah. over at MCC, and and uh, Jason Hart called me. He was MDing that as well, and he called me one morning, like at mm-hmm. nine in the morning, and he said. Um, we've lost a guitar player for the matinee hey, can you come in and I was like Jason I've played a thousand shows in my life but I've never played in a pit band of, of, of a of a you know a, a theater piece so I've never done it before he's like well it'll be fine so I like ran over to the theater and like relearned all the parts I mean I wrote them in the first place but they're all in different keys and like you know once we mm-hmm. get the show so I like relearned everything and played the show and then I was like oh, I can't believe I made it through that <laughs> it's a <laughs> but that's the only time I've only ever done it once
1: that's so yeah. funny and the the pit for Alice by Heart was sort of like up high yeah, right? yes. so could anybody even see that you were no, in there? no I it? doubt
3: it <laughs> <laughs> thankfully
1: yeah. well I, how did the partnership of the two of you come together in the first place I mean Susan you've been working in the theater for a little while yes <laughs> how did the, the match get made?
2: well uh, when they first put this together um, and uh, Lauren Shuler Donner, who was, I, I suppose, the producer who got the rights in the first place, said, and who should we have to write the music? And I...
3: And they have, said Adam Gettle. No.
2: <laughs> I love Adam's music, but I have been such a fan of Duncan's music. Ooh. Such, I mean, I literally went crazy when I saw um, Spring Awakening and, um, and just loved his music ever since. I even remember when you and I did – each did a song yeah. in, in that uh, other off-Broadway thing, which shall go nameless. Yeah. And I heard – they <laughs> we were all invited to a dress rehearsal and I – they didn't have a program. But I heard this song and I heard the music and I turned around. And I said, Duncan, that's yours, isn't it? And he said, yes. Yes, called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and and that was a really easy call because Sue Monk Kidd, who wrote the novel, mm-hmm. said, "Oh, I love Duncan Sheik's music. He's a South Carolina boy, and she apparently listens to his music all the time." So that was.
3: Well, I think it was her, her daughter had had the first record or something. So yeah, really? she it was in her yeah. house a lot. You know, which I apologized for. You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh. and, and
2: and the other producers <laughs> loved the idea, and so and to our delight and surprise he said yes.
3: Yeah and and honestly again it took a long time to sort of get to sort of get into what I was doing but once once we found our way then it became very exciting.
0: Wait, I want to know more about this whole arranged marriage. So you suggested <laughs> Duncan. And then how did Lynn and Sam get involved?
2: Well, Lynn was Lynn at was this involved. meeting with me. She, oh, oh, okay. Lynn so and Lynn, I, Lynn and I have been friends for about twenty years, right? And you, you're working on other things together, so, and well, w- that we was always after thought, fact. wouldn't it be nice to work together? Hmm. Um, it was my agency that represented Sue Kid and my agent who first sent me the book. Oh, I see. And as soon as he said, "Who do you think should do the book?" it was a no-brainer. Right. 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 Um, right. right. And as soon as Lynn read the book, she said yes. So oh, great! There we were, and then and
3: then I Duncan, and then in.
2: we yeah. decided. And she was all for Duncan's music. She loved his music as well.
3: Yeah, and I, so, yeah, and then and and then when when I found out that Sam Gold was interested, I was really excited because I'd been a big fan of his for yeah. a decade, and right. and I tried to get him to work on something before, and he sort of. Passed on it. I was like, oh great. Well, now I'm finally gonna get to work.
2: <laughs> well, I think he told us that the first time we met with him, he said, you know, people asked me to do musicals. But I really didn't want to, but yeah.
3: he yeah, was but He a did tr- all right with Fun Home. Yeah, he so. did okay. He did all right. <laughs> at least, yeah. 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 <laughs>
2: uh, no, and what I'm realizing
0: too is that I guess Susan, you're the only one that I hadn't worked with before. Because I'd worked yeah. with Duncan on a show. I'd worked with Lynn. As a writer on She's Gotta Have It on Netflix. And then also I'd been in her intimate apparel and we just, you know, and did tons of workshops of her, affabulation. fabulation. And then I did one small thing with Sam as well um, at encore city center like off center when they yeah. first started that whole thing but I'd never gotten to work with you and now I I, <laughs> now I know this this vet <laughs> this
1: so is the, this is the tangled web of how music <laughs> tangled, together. Very, very tangled web yeah. <laughs> so. that's so funny well I I wanted to go back to the music a little bit because I mean to me well, while there are like you know big catchy numbers that I can still hear in my head. Um, I mean, to me, in general, your music, Duncan, is so much about kind of texture and, like, layering of sounds and creating an atmosphere versus creating a hook above Mm -hmm. all, I Mm -hmm. think. And to me, that's what is so beautiful about the score for the show, and it it struck me and Alice by heart as well. Um, So I'm. we talked a little bit about the sounds that were kind of your starting place, but Mm. I would love to hear a little more about that because I remember – I spoke to you two years ago and you were like I'm listening to a lot of Kendrick Lamar right now <laughs> and I was like tell me more
3: <laughs> yeah I mean uh, th- that that's a recent development I wouldn't say well I guess there's a little bit of overlap because Kendrick definitely draws from historical sounds whether it be jazz stuff or you know or R&B and and, and he uses real instru- instrumentation in a really creative great way and he fuses genres in a really great way mm-hmm. so but I don't, I wouldn't say he was a specific influence on me in this show, um, although I do love him. Uh, um, but yeah, so I mean, I grew up in South Carolina, and I grew up sort of adjacent to a lot of Gullah and Geechee um, communities, and and so I, I feel like maybe some of that seeped into my pores mm. in some way, and so that gave me a little bit of a, a starting place to kind of create the, certainly the music of the sisters and the sort of r- the rituals Um, the ritual music that happens within the larger ritual that the show is. Um, so that that was really useful, and then you know I, I play anything that has frets or keys or that you hit. I don't play any. I don't. I don't play anything that you bow or you blow. So, <laughs> but so how
1: long have you been working on that
2: one?
3: <laughs> it's on my card. But um, but I will say like Issa, in in the matter of three months like learned to play the cello, which is like yes extraordinary. she did yes, <laughs> yes, yes she did. I'm now so, playing at
0: a. Second grade level.
3: No, <laughs> no. no okay, the you know cello? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so I was very impressed by that. But you know, it's it's cool to have this amazing horn section and and he's playing cello at an amazing level, um, given how long she's been playing it. And then, um, but because I play all these other instruments, like the root stuff is really easy. From you know whether it's a banjo or guitars or you know basses or whatever, that stuff is sort of easy for me to to kind of come up with. And you know even in my own I even. though i'm sort of an anglophile in my own music that i make i do sort of wander into um sort of um, americana and and blues territory at times um so that was it's fun i mean it's fun to surf around the genres i mean you always want to Mm -hmm. make it your own but it's fun to like play take to pull elements from different Places, I mean, and there's a you know there's a precedent for this. I mean, um, not to compare the shows at all, but I mean that's what you know. Look at Porgy and Bess. Look at you know there there are all these shows totally. that, um, that that do that um, in a really brilliant way. So um, so I feel like that's that was my permission. <laughs> I
2: remember the first time there was a meeting of all of us together, mm-hmm. and you said I'm I'm playing around with sounds in my head,
3: yeah,
2: and. Um, And you also said, I just want you to know, you said to the producers, that this is going to be my voice, my own sounds, not... Prestige, mm-hmm. thank God.
3: Yeah, <laughs> right. And there's another cool thing that happened, which almost by accident, where and I'll give Jason Hart a lot of credit for this. But there's a kind of like almost 20th century classical music thing, like a Steve Reich, Philip Glass thing, that happens in the interstitial yeah, music yeah. throughout the show, oh, yeah. um, which is really beautiful. The
0: bees, and the sound of the bees. The sound yeah, of the bees, it's really yeah. beautiful.
3: Um, and and that and that actually does a lot of work where. A, Uh, something might be, a song might be really up, and then all of a sudden it fades into this other mysterious sound. And and so it keeps the show, it kind of keeps the audience on their toes a little bit emotionally, which Mm -hmm. I like.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like Southern Gothic minimalism. Yeah. (laughs) I have to say... My (laughs) new favorite (laughs) genre.
0: (laughs) But I have to say there really are some hooks in this show. (laughs) Yeah, oh, totally. I I would say that, but I know that, I heard what your point was, Mm -hmm. that, you know, the texture and the chordal, like... Euphoria that you can go into, and, and Duncan's songs is there. But there are some songs that, I mean, all of us is like, oh, which song was in your head last night? Oh, <laughs> you know, it was. Um 55 Fairlane you know <laughs> like that song will get stuck in your head you know or songs that have been cut like Jack Palance we still sing that yeah. song yeah. <laughs> you <Yes>. know <laughs> it's, it's almost like he like knows pop music <laughs>
1: almost <laughs> 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 but we are very happy to have you in the in the theater world for sure um, well you guys the show is great and, and thank you for coming today
3: thank you so much
1: thanks, thanks you. for having yeah. us. this was fun <laughs> The Secret Life of Bees is playing through July 21st at the Linda Gross Theater in New York. If you're a fan of Billboard on Broadway, please subscribe and give us stars and nice reviews on iTunes. You can also find the podcast on Google Play, Spotify, Acast, and Stitcher, among other places. If you want to talk about the podcast on social media, I'm at Yadown with RMM on Instagram. I'm at Rebecca Milzoff on Twitter. And you can always use hashtag Billboard on Broadway to talk all about it. Hope to have you back next week.